Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and welcome to 2023. Have you ever asked for someone's advice? Most of us seek some sort of advice daily. Depending on who you trust, the confidence you have in the advice, or maybe you're flat desperate for guidance. It is always good to know the source the advice is coming from. In today's episode, our senior pastor, Heath Bauer, walks us through Ecclesiastes 12. His message today is called Advice from an Old Man. If you are in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. I invite you to hang out to the end so you can know how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you'll find it, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's a fantastic book. This is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Uh, it's, you're going to find that if you ever study through Ecclesiastes, it's not a book that you can just casually read through without it constantly grabbing you, stopping you, and forcing you to listen to its message. It's uh, a beautiful message of wisdom. It's, it's sort of like sitting down with your grandpa, Christmas time, family, we all got together, right? And you sit down, it's like talking to your grandpa, and he's got sage advice for you. And when, when you talk to an old person, that's not the time when you need to fill their ears. You need to be silent, you need to listen. They've got a certain amount of wisdom to share. Not that, not that old people did everything right, you know, but there's certain things that they've learned along the way, even from their mistakes, even from their failures, they've experienced some things. And Ecclesiastes is Solomon's old man wisdom book. In his youthful age, back when he had one wife, right, uh, he wrote the song of Solomon, God's book on love, intimacy, and romance. Uh, later on in his middle age years, he wrote a book of wisdom, of Proverbs. And now in his old age, he's looking back upon his life, his successes and his failures, and he's asking us to pull up a chair and just to listen to Grandpa talk for a little bit. First thing that we're going to see here in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1 is that we need to make God our top priority, and we need to do it today. It's not something that we put off. Spiritual growth, I don't know if you've identified this or not, doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen just by virtue of getting older. In our house, we have a phrase, everybody grows old, not everybody grows up. You know, that we can physically age without actually improving in our walk with God. In fact, where will we be in 2023? I don't know. It depends on what you commit and resolve to doing in your heart. But if we're not resolving to be any different in 2023, we should not expect to be the same. In fact, we may have found that we have backslidden a bit. So to, to begin here, we have to make a priority of God in our life. And he says in verse one, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Let's just pause there. Remember also, when we see that word also, it means that he has said something just prior to chapter 12 that we need to look at. Remember also, also what? Solomon. You see, in chapter 11 and verse 9, he said, Rejoice, O, and he's talking here to young men in particular. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. It's okay to be young and enjoy it. Those days when you have cartilage, those days when you can, you know, play touch football and not get injured greatly, those days when you can order Pizza Hut at 11.30 and not have to chase it down with a bottle of Tums. You're young, great, enjoy that. You know, <clears throat> but there will come a day when we can't do that. 
But we're to remember God, not in our old age, and say, you know, someday in the future I'll serve God. Someday when my life isn't as crazy. I'm in college right now. I don't really have time to, you know, go to church. You see, I'm working and I'm going to school. And then you get married. (laughs) And you're like, I don't really have time for God now. I've got to figure out this whole, you know, the two shall become one flesh and, and not try to kill each other at home. And then you have kids. Well, certainly God understands why I'm not serving him with my whole heart here. I'm just going to kind of tread water with God until I get a little bit older. And then your kids become teenagers. Okay. And then you're like, God, I really don't have time. And then our kids leave home. And then pretty soon we find that our bodies are aging. And then there's always a reason in life why we don't have time to serve God today. There's always a reason why I can't make God my top priority. And that's Satan's intention is to distract us all the all the way to the point of death so that we never find a place in our life where we are serving God. And that's why he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Go ahead and enjoy them, 11 verse nine says. Enjoy your youthful days. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. That's what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Be an example to the other believers. And furthermore, Solomon says here, enjoy it. Go out, go rock climbing, have fun, do your things, go water skiing do like my son did. He went scuba diving. He goes skydiving. He does all these crazy things. You know, have fun in your youth. But God says, in your having fun in your youth, don't forget to remember also your creator in the days of your youth. To remember means to make a mark, that you intend to come back to something, something that's important to you. When you read a book, what do we use? We use a bookmark, a little piece of paper, a little uh, something. We stick it in there because it's important to us that we don't thumb through 365 pages to try to find where we left off. It's a mark. You know, survival training. You know, you, you go wandering around the woods. Sometimes you make marks on trees or things like that. You make markings so that you can find your way back. It's important that I come back to this. And God says, remember me. Make a mark. Have something in your life that's going to cause you to remember that you have a creator. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He didn't just say, remember God. He said, remember your creator. He's reminding us that we're not our own. We have a creator someone who created us. Now, when you have a creator-creation relationship, the relationship of the creation to the creator is that we owe him something. We are supposed to perform a function. He created us unto something. You know, but what is that? Many of you, Christmas time, you bought gifts for your kids, some of which assembly was required. And so you sat up on, you know, Christmas Eve and you're, you're building toys, you're building things. I remember doing that. My little, my little boy, I remember when I bought him a, a, was it a 12 or 20 volt, volt car? One of these little guys where you get in, you drive around. And uh, he loved that thing. I had to assemble this thing and I had to put together, I had to put wires together and get the batteries in. I had to charge it. I had to do all of these things. It was my creation. It's something I built and I built this toy with the intention of doing something. It was to cart my little boy around and make him smile and make me happy. Now, how would you feel if you had gone out and you had bought this little 12-volt car and you had put it together and you wrapped it up and the kid unwrapped it under the tree, he gets in, he puts his foot on the pedal and nothing happens. You're gonna be highly disappointed in that which you've created. 
Instead, it, it, it did take off and it went. My son tied a little, took bungee cords and he tied a little. First thing he did when he got that car, he made a trailer for it. Got his little, you know, his little uh, wagon, put our old dead Christmas tree around. He drove it around our yard at the old church we were serving at, at the time. It was great. The creation served its creator and I was pleased and I was happy. And Solomon's reminding us, remember also, in all of your having fun in life, remember also, make a mark, have things in your life that constantly point you back to God so that you remember to come back to the things that are important because he's our creator. He's not just a God out there who made stuff, he made us. And that means that we have a responsibility to serve him and serve him in the ways that he created us to serve. He says we need to do that now. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. He says now because if we wait till later, what's gonna happen is what I just described. There's always going to be a reason why today is not a good day to serve God. There's always gonna be a reason why today is not a good day to begin giving. It's not a good day to begin serving. It's not a good day to begin committing to, to being at church, to be committing to a community group or a D group. There's always a reason. Or committing to personal Bible study at home, to leading your family in prayer. There's always a reason not to start. So he says, remember now. He says, before what? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Now, if you're wondering what the evil days are, it's because you do still have cartilage, okay? If the, the evil days are the days when your body is not kind to you the way it used to be. You used to be able to abuse your body in so many different ways, you know, when we're young. But when, when you start to get a little older, your body is less and less kind to you, you have less energy, and things begin to happen. He says, so remember God, don't just wait till the end of your life and say, you know what, <clears throat> when I'm retired, I'll have plenty of time to serve God, and so I'll wait till then. God says, no, remember now, your creation, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And then he describes it. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and then the clouds, he says, return after the rain. He sees, he's about to describe the progress of old age and its effect on our bodies. And he sees old age like a weather pattern. <clears throat> he's letting us know that when death comes, it's not gonna be a surprise to any of us because God gave us ample warning ahead of time. It's gonna be like the, <clears throat> the sun darkening. It's gonna be like the clouds rolling in. You're like, well, I guess we have some rain moving in here. And when you see that happen, you know, when I was a kid, we grew up, we couldn't afford to run the dryer. And so we hung our clothes out on the line. And you know, night before, we see it's about to rain. We see the clouds coming in, and things, the sky is getting dark, and we knew we better bring these clothes in or I'm gonna be wearing wet jeans to school tomorrow. And so seeing these weather patterns roll in caused us to take appropriate action. I need to change what I'm doing right now. I may be in the middle of watching the Dukes of Hazard, but I need to stop right now, and I need to pull all those clothes off the line, because if I don't, there's gonna be trouble. God says that's what the signs of aging in our body is meant to do with us. We're supposed to see these different things that arise in our bodies, and we're to pay attention and realize these are storm warnings, that this body doesn't last forever. You know, we get things that are, you know, wrinkles, Crow's feet, why do we name wrinkles anyway? You name things that you're affectionate of. We don't love wrinkles, but you know, crow's feet and laugh lines and all these other wrinkles that we name. We get wrinkles, we get spots on our face. Our skin isn't flawlessly white or whatever color you are. You know, it's not flawlessly one color anymore. We're like a dappled looking horse now, you know? And that's what our bodies do. Things happen, we start noticing gray hairs. And when you're younger, you can just 
ding, and you can pluck them out. But when you get older, there's so many of them, you start plucking, you're not gonna have much left to pluck. And so, you know, your hair turns white. God is saying all of these things are storm warnings. Hey, take appropriate action because you're not here forever. And so, <clears throat> I always like to joke with my family that God has given me plenty of storm warnings. I'm, I'm having what is called a progressive funeral. What happened is I buried my appendix in Bangkok. I buried my gallbladder in Kuala Lumpur. And I'm hoping that with my next funeral that we just pay it off in one lump sum because I don't have much left to give. This is what our bodies do though. God just wants us to remind us that when I give you this aging process, it's, it's storm clouds. It's to remind us of something. It's to motivate us to appropriate action. It's a, it's a reminder, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. God gives us only a few rotations around, this, around the sun here, and then eventually he calls us home. He shows, gives us a few examples of just some of these storm warnings that God gives us. In verse three, he says, in the day when the keepers of the house, what's the keeper of your house? By the way, the house being your body. What's the keeper of your house? It's, it's your arms and your hands. He says it gets to a place where sometimes they can tremble. That happens at times with age. He says, when the strong men are bent, one of the strongest muscles in our body is our back. And sometimes he says our back eventually gets to a place where it's bent. It's not as strong as it used to be. We don't get to stand with good posture anymore. Verse three, when the grinders cease because they are few, what are your grinders? You brush them every day. Your grinders are your teeth. He says in, over time, eventually we lose teeth here and there. Maybe you, got, maybe you played hockey. <laughs> maybe you got in a fight. Some of you ladies got in a fight. You, you'll lose teeth over time, he says, but it'll come to a place where that ceaseless ending grinding of Cheerios and Pop-Tarts is gonna end. And we're gonna, it's just not gonna be there anymore because we're aged. And eventually God's gonna bring us home. He says, and those who look through the window are dimmed. The windows of our heart and our life, they're our eyes. He says, there's gonna come a day you're gonna to need to wear reading glasses. I'm getting there. Even as I was preparing my message this week, my doctor told me I was supposed to get reading glasses probably at 41. I've gone many years past that, but I'm starting to realize once in a while, oh, maybe it's about that time. That's a storm warning for me. Heath, don't waste your life. Enjoy what you have. You know, we don't have to be dismal, oh, we're all gonna die, you know. But I should allow those to be storm warnings for me. The clouds are rolling in, buddy. You, you don't have forever. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. What's youth? I don't know, who wants to define youth for us? Are you youthful? Raise your hand. You know, youth is just now. You're not getting any younger. You're not getting any more youthful. So whatever youth you currently still have, use it for God. I've just found with youth, it's really relative. Youth is a relative term. You know, I've seen 80-year-olds uh, call 60-year-olds babies. Any of you 60-year-olds feel like babies? I got called a baby when I was in my mid-40s one time. What's, a, what's youthfulness? It's, it's perspective. What's important here is don't let yourself get any older before you make some commitments to honoring God with your life. He is, after all, your creator. He says, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters are brought low, what's he talking about? Your ears, the sound of the grinding is low. People say something, you have to, what's that? What's that? Can you say that again? You know, we, our, our hearing begins to fade. Bes despite that, despite the fact that our hearing isn't as good, he says, we rise at the sound of a bird. It doesn't take much to wake you up. You get up early in the morning. It's why Cracker Barrel at 6 a.m., you don't see a bunch of college freshmen. 
You know, you got grandma and grandpa, they've been awake since 4 a.m. and they've already done all their chores. You know, and they're, they're waiting for Cracker Barrel to open at six, you know. But that's, that's kind of what happens as, as we age. You can't hear as well, but somehow you wake up very easily. Uh, he says, they're also afraid of what is high. That's why bungee jumping is not advertised in most retirement homes. You know, you're afraid of what is high. And he's just saying, you know, we're, you're not afraid of a lot of stairs, but as you get older, you know, kids, they can fall and they're made of rubber. There's boing, you know, they bounce right up. Even when you get older, even some of the smaller falls, they can be, they'd be very terrifying and for good reason. And, and, and Solomon's not making light of this. He's just acknowledging this happens to all of our bodies. We all get there. And he says, uh, and there are terrors in the way that we're afraid of things that we didn't used to be afraid of. You know, because our body, we're finally realizing that the flesh truly is weak. He says the almond tree blossoms. Any of you have an almond tree in your yard? And before, maybe not. But uh, the almond tree, when it blossoms, its blossoms are white. So what's he talking about? The almond tree. It blossoms, it turns white. He's talking about our hair. Eventually, you know, with age, our hair turns white. And the grasshopper drags itself along. You ever see a dragging grasshopper? Not unless you're like six-year-olds been playing with them. Kids play with those grasshoppers, they're, they're hurting. Uh, I was one of those kids. When a grasshopper is dragging himself along, what does he normally do? A grasshopper is like, you know, one quarter head and like three quarters leg. I mean, he's just known for bouncing and he, they got all this energy and you barely catch them. But when a grasshopper is dragging, he's not doing so good. He's slowing down. The Bible says that even our legs, they become uh, weak with age. You know, we're, we're not out there on the pickleball courts so much as we used to be anymore. And desire fails. Even just some of the basic fleshly desires of food and drink and intimacy, I'm just not as interested in all that, you know, anymore. He says all of these things are, they're storm warnings. Let it be a reminder to us. You ever wonder, why does God allow our bodies to decay like this? Any of you all tired of your decaying body? Aren't you glad God's got a glorified body for you someday? That we're not stuck in this current sack of chemicals that I'm dragging around, and I'm not going to do this for all eternity, that, that God has got something better for me? You ever wonder, though, why doesn't God just allow us to have a perfectly healthy body until the day that we die, and just boom, we're raptured home? Why doesn't he do that? Can I tell you here, Solomon is letting us know, and he's about to tell us why, by the way. God's aging of our bodies is a gift. It's a gift. You say, well, it doesn't feel like a gift, and those doctor bills don't feel like gifts. But the aging of our body is a gift because without the pain, without the suffering, without the evil days, what do we begin to conclude about this earth? It's, it's, it's about here, this is my home, this is where I belong, and, and life becomes about me. Without pain, comfort produces complacency. When all we have is comfort, and that's why God warned them, when I lead you in a land flowing with milk and honey, you're gonna forget God. Comfort produces complacency, so God will intentionally produce discomfort within us, like a mother eagle with its babies. You ever watch mother eagles? You watch animal documentaries like I do all the time? And uh, mother eagles, they will begin to, they'll make this big, huge, beautiful nest, and it's comfortable for those baby eagles when it's time for those baby eagles to grow and learn how to fly and feed themselves. What do they do? they begin to disassemble that nest. What a jerk, what an awful mother bird. Who would, why would you ever produce discomfort in the life of your children? It's because if that nest was comfortable, they would stay there the whole time and say, keep feeding me, you know, sort of like your 30-year-old who moved back home and playing guitar in your basement. 
you got to make that nest a little more uncomfortable, mama. But the mother eagles will do that. And it, in a similar way, God does the same thing with us. When God wants us to grow, sometimes he pulls the feathers out of the nest. Ow, that hurt. I don't want to stay here anymore. God wants me to progress, to move on. God doesn't want us to stay where we are. Why? Because Solomon will answer that. Because you're not meant to be here forever. This isn't your home. Verse 5 says, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. These difficulties are reminding us of that old song, you know, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This, this isn't home. You know, I've seen people do studies of great preaching throughout the centuries. And you know what they realized? Many, many years ago, do you know they, they preached a lot more about heaven than they do today? Part of that is people don't necessarily want to hear about death in heaven. Back, I mean, back in the Middle Ages, when you were a blacksmith and you're just swinging a hammer and sweating all day, you're thinking, oh, please, God, death will be a sweet deliverance for me, and I want to hear about what's coming after this. You know, but many of us, you've got desk jobs, you know, and you're sitting there in air conditioning, and you walk downstairs, you know, and, there's, and you can get food from anywhere in the world, and that's a happy thing, and your life is so good, we begin to want to stay here, and we see death as an interruption of, of what we, where we really want to be, which is here. And so God allows us these discomforts of life to remind us we're not supposed to be at home right here on earth. In fact, we're like those of Hebrews 11, verse 14 to 16. Hebrews 11, a fantastic study, by the way. Hebrews 11, 1 gives us a definition of faith. And then he shows us those who have lived lives of faith. And then he says this about them. Those who live lives of faith, verse 14 says, for people who speak thus, you know, who talk about this world isn't my home, the people who live by faith, he says, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Those who are living by faith, he says, that we're looking for something beyond this world. We recognize this, there's something wrong with us, with, with where we're living here, and I don't want to be here forever. We, we seek something beyond this. Many years ago, there was a sci-fi movie called The Matrix that came out. And, it's, and there's just this guy, he's a computer programmer, and he feels like there's just something wrong with the world that he's living in. And everybody else, they're just kind of living it up and partying and drinking and doing drugs. And, but he's like pursuing truth. There's something wrong with where I'm living, and he wants to be delivered from it. And this, this uh, oracle, you know, it's almost a biblical allegory as you watch it. This sends this guy to find him and seek him out and gives him the truth, and he makes a decision by faith to follow. And then he discovers that, oh my goodness, we've been living in a computer simulation. Years ago, the iPhones took over the world and destroyed everything, and, and now we're just batteries for the computers. And, and he gets delivered from this, and he realizes the real world is actually a lot harder than the simulation was. You know, and everybody's wearing clothes with holes in them and eating oatmeal every day. And it's just, this is bad. but they realize that they're on their journey to a city called Zion, the city of God. And so the struggle is worth it. And there's a fellow, a villain, sort of a Judas figure in the, in the movie who betrays everybody. He turns his back on love. He turns his back on friendship. He turns his back on truth. And he sells everybody out. And you're meant to vilify this guy. And the, what he wants is just to be put back in the simulation. He doesn't want the truth. He doesn't want to walk the straight and narrow. He just, he just wants to be put back in the simulation where it's comfortable. And we're meant to see that as a villainous person who exchanges truth and love and relationship for just comfort. 
But that's, but that's where we are. We're meant to live in this world and realize that, yes, this is, we're not in a simulation, by the way. Your iPhones didn't take over yet. We're meant, though, to look at this world and say, you know, there's something wrong with this world. I will operate in this world. I will do things in this world. But the purpose of my life is not just to be complacent and comfortable. The purpose of my life is to seek and call people out to enlighten their minds to the truth of who Jesus is. And God says we need to do this now in the days of our youth. And then he reminds us, why don't we just live for comfort? Because in verse 7, he says, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Vanity is a word. By the way, that is the theme word of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read through Ecclesiastes, you better understand what vanity means. It just means emptiness. It's empty. It's pointless. Much of the stuff he says that we occupy ourselves with on earth, it's empty, it's pointless, it's vain. It just draws attention to me, it glorifies me, it makes me more comfortable, it pads my house with stuff, and we can pretty soon start thinking that life is just about working a job, making a lot of money, to make myself comfortable to collect stuff. He says, that's a vain life, that's empty. It may make you, it may satisfy you temporarily, but you're gonna get to a place in your life and you're gonna say, I want more from life than just experiences. And so what do we do, Solomon? Solomon, number two, he invested himself into the spiritual development of other people. How did he do that? Verse nine, he says, besides being wise, he himself knew God's word. The preacher, and that's Solomon, calls himself the preacher. And that's, that's what the word Ecclesiastes means. It's the Hebrew word koheleth, which means the preacher. This is an old man preaching to us. The preacher also taught people knowledge. He passed on what he knew about God to other people. Beyond this, it says he was weighing and studying, arranging many proverbs with great care, and he sought to find words of delight. Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise, he says, are like goads. That's a sharp stick. When you read the word of God, it's meant to poke us. Is it comfortable being poked with a stick? I mean, kids, those of you little kids are poking you, mom. It's not comfortable. Imagine a sharp stick. It's meant to poke cattle, make them uncomfortable and move. That's what the word of God does to us. The word of God, when we read it appropriately and correctly, is meant to make us feel a little uncomfortable at times. If every time you read the Bible, you're still comfortable, you're not reading it right. You're reading into it your intended meaning. The word of God is meant to be a goad. Hey, I'm going to... This is uncomfortable. We're meant to change. And he says it's like goads. Furthermore, he says it's like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. That it will, it'll cause us to stand firm on what is true. And when society just goes this way and this way and this way, and they're wishy-washy on morals, God's word says, nailed it down. This is what's true. And we are able to stay there and stand firm. He says they're given as by one shepherd. What does that mean? Capital S. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so the wise sayings that Solomon is passing on to people, they're not his own. It's not just human wisdom. A stitch in time saves nine. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't count your chickens before they, chickens? Chickens, before they hatch. A lot of our phrases are about chicken and eggs, so I have to get it right, you know. But he, this isn't just human wisdom he's passing on to people. Hey, by the way, son, change your oil every 3,000 miles. This is godly wisdom, the wisdom that's given by one shepherd. It's this book right here. He says, whatever you pass on to your kids, you teach them how to change the oil, you teach them mathematics, you teach them how to throw a ball. Whatever you do, don't fail in remembering to teach your children about the wise sayings given by a single shepherd. 
And so he invested himself into teaching and training others and passing on that wisdom. And it's something that God calls all of us to. Did you realize that? That we're not intended to be just reservoirs of truth. We're not just to come to church to say, hey, what do I get out of this? Teach me, feed me, preach to me. Preach to me here, preach to me in Sunday school, preach to me in church, preach to me on Sunday night, preach to me on Wednesday night, preach, 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 preach. Preaching is good and preaching is commanded and preaching is necessary, but you know that's not the only thing God commands us to do in scripture. He commands us to pray. He commands us to share the gospel. He commands us to spend time discipling other people. It's a balance. It's not just receiving knowledge. What happens in the Bible with all we do is we assemble knowledge our whole life and we think that's spirituality. What does that develop? First Corinthians tells us knowledge puffs up. Just a whole bunch of knowledge gathering, we call that spirituality. The Bible tells us that actually just makes us proud people. We think we're more spiritual than we are when in fact a balanced, healthy Christian life involves certainly some preaching, also some discussion, also Bible memorization, also prayer, us investing in the lives of others, us serving, us giving, doing all of these things together, sharing the gospel. We wanna be balanced in how we do ministry. But God calls every one of us, I don't know if you realize this or not, God calls every one of us, like Solomon, to invest ourselves into the spiritual development of other people. The church isn't just about developing you. The church is about us coming together to develop one another. Because every one of you, you have different life experiences and things that God has taught you, and God wants to take whatever you have and to put it into the heart of somebody else. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 says this, About this we have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. But instead, he says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. He's saying every Christian is intended to grow up, not just grow old. We're not to make the greatest boast of our life. I've been at Unity Baptist Church for 75 years. You know, we want to make the boast, we don't want to boast at all, but we want our praise of God to be not that I faithfully attended church, but that I was an active living participant in it. That I am taking what God has given me and I'm investing it into the lives of others. By the way, that's the life cycle of maturity. When you're little kids, your children, you don't, how many of you mothers woke up, you have children who are barely in school, did they make you an omelets for breakfast before church today? If you do, you have very prodigious children. They didn't do that, why? Because children don't provide for others. Children are provided for. When do you know that child is mature? You say it's when he leaves home and they begin to provide for themselves, and then furthermore, they begin to provide for their family, for their kids. That's maturity. And in the same way, Hebrews 5 says, how do you know you're a mature believer? You're not waiting for mama to make you the omelet. <laughs> you're, you're making it for somebody else. You're investing into the spiritual health and vitality of other people. That's when you're mature. We can't say we're a mature believer until, because Paul says by this time you ought to be teachers. We ought to be investing into the spiritual health of other people. And if all we do is absorb, 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 what does that tell us about our spiritual development and maturity? It means we've got some growing up to do. Paul says, I want you to be this way. I want you investing into the spiritual health of others. But why couldn't they? He says they had become dull of hearing. Does that mean you can't hear well? No, it means that even though he as a preacher was preaching, their hearts weren't interested, and so they didn't hear it. You ever notice that when you tell your kids certain things, they hear it very clearly, other things they don't? Hey, you're mentioning in a whispered, hushed tone, and you spell it out. 
hey, honey, should we take the kids out for I-C-E-C-R? And kids are like, ice cream, ice cream. I mean, they heard that from like in the backyard. They can hear the things that interest them. But if they are dull of hearing, you know, you can say right to their face, son, I want you to go to your room and I want you to clean up your room and I want you to get that done before you go out and play ball. Somehow that message was completely lost on him. He thought that meant go to your room, check a few notes you know, on, his, on his phone, play a little bit, you know, put a couple pieces of clothes in the, in the dirty clothes and then go out and have fun. He didn't hear you because he was dull of hearing. His heart didn't desire what you were sharing with him. The Bible says sometimes we can become that way, that our attention span for God isn't very long because God isn't the chief of our interests. You ever heard people say that little children have no attention span? I don't believe that one bit, and I'll tell you why. Children don't have attention spans for things that develop them and grow them naturally because they're immature. When you want to teach children the ABCs, how long can you teach to them? About 15 minutes, maybe. Maybe 10, maybe 5. But take that same child and you put him in front of the TV, in front of the Disney Channel... And that child will sit there and watch cartoons with the focus of a Tibetan Buddhist monk. Won't they? I, I was that kid. I used to get up at 5.30 on Saturday morning voluntarily. And my brothers and sisters and I, this is before we had TV going all night long, and we would get up before the test pattern, and we would watch the fuzz. And eventually the test pattern come up. You don't know what I'm talking about, right, some of you? And then the, the flag would start waving. Dun, 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 dun. And you're like, oh, here it comes, here it comes. And we would watch cartoons from 6 a.m. until 1 p.m. when Adam West and Batman came on. Okay, and we would watch it with rapt attention. We would run out on a commercial, grab our bowl of Cheerios or Kicks, and we'd come back and we'd, we'd, we had focused attention. We had attention spans for the things that interested us. We were not dull of hearing when it came to, you know, Scooby-Doo and Laugh Olympics and some of these other cartoons I had when I was a kid. I loved it, and my attention was there because it interested me. The Bible says when we're dull of hearing towards the things of God, it's because, it's because our interests lie somewhere else. There's something that has captured our heart more than God has. I don't like reading the Bible for more than I have to, maybe, maybe five minutes, if I do that. Why? It's because our heart is not captured by God. We're interested in other things. I'd rather do other things. You know, when the preacher starts preaching past noon, what do we do? We start jingling our keys. Jing, 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 jing. Maybe you'll hear that. You know, honey, set your alarm. Maybe the pastor will get the hint. You know, our interests aren't there, but same person, we will drive two hours to go watch Kentucky play some basketball, and we will sit there for two plus hours, and we will drive two hours back home, six to eight hour investment of our time because our interests are there. We are interested in Kentucky basketball, and I will go even just to watch them lose, okay? I'm not making any statements here. But we will go there because our interests are there. Maybe we went there. Maybe our kids went there. Everybody around us, you cheer for Kentucky ball. And so we are willing to put in the time because our heart and our interests are there. When we're interested in something, our attention span grows dramatically. And Paul says, he, the, or, we don't know the writer of Hebrews, but Hebrews 5 says they should be teachers, but they're not because they're dull of hearing. They're just not that interested in God. We're like the prodigal son. I want God's blessing. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be radical and crazy and invest my life into God. Well, number three, we're going to look here, and we need, he's going to show us that we need to craft a purpose statement for our life. And in case you don't want to do that, he's going to give us one. 
by the way, and this is, this is pretty good. Uh, this whole book has just been old man wisdom. This is grandpa telling us how to live life and what's important, and he summarizes all of his wisdom into this short little pithy life statement. And you're gonna find it here in chapter, verse 13. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. When you've weighed out everything that everybody has to say and all the wisdom and counsel from all of life, here's what really matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. And what does he call those two things? He says it's the whole duty of man. It's the only thing by which God is really gonna measure your life. He's not gonna measure your life. You know, Eli goes to heaven one day and shows up and God says, how many deer did you get last season? Let's not talk about that. Uh, He's not gonna judge you by what car did you drive to church? What was your house like? Tell me about your job. Tell me about your hobbies. How's your bass boat doing? God doesn't care about any of these things. Did you get to marry your high school sweetheart? Did you ever buy your dream house? God doesn't care about these things. What does God care about? Two things, really. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is what God wants from us. This is the measure by which we will be judged. It's a a purpose statement. You know, companies, they they adopt purpose statements for their company because if we don't have purpose statements and people don't know why we exist, pretty soon we can become active but not productive. And we can be the same way in our life. We can be active, doing a lot of things. Oh, man, I'm tired. I mean, is there anybody here not tired? (laughs) We can be active but not necessarily productive in the things that matter most, fear God and keep his commandments. I read a story this week about a guy who... He worked for a global security company and he was working at a museum because museums have millions of dollars worth of artifacts and things and his job was to be a security guard and he took it very seriously because he was guarding this exhibit full of these priceless artifacts. And so they said, when you're here, we want you to sit down, don't read a book, don't check your phone, don't do anything, be totally focused. And so he was. Well, eventually they moved that exhibit to another part of the museum, but guess what the security guard still had to do? He still had to clock in every day. He had to sit there looking at nothing, reading no books, looking at no phones, guarding an empty room. And he did this for years because it's what they'd always done. If we don't know why we exist as a person, if we don't know why we exist as a church, if we're not careful, we can become very diligent and very dedicated to guard empty rooms. Things that don't matter much to God or things that don't accomplish the purposes of God. And so he tells us, here's your purpose. Here's what you can build a life around. He says, fear God. Fear God means to call, call to mind the existence of God. God is out there, and he's great, and I'm not. And I'm going to stand before him someday, and I'm going to let the truth of that, I'm going to let the truth of the, the weather patterns of my life, I'm going to let the truth of my graying hairs, and my wrinkling skin, and my weakening bodies, and my you know, delicate constitution of my stomach, I'm gonna let that be a weather pattern for me and say, change how you live today because life is temporary. Let it change how you live today because you know what's coming tomorrow. It's like the thief on the cross. Remember when Jesus was crucified? He was crucified between thieves. And they began the day mocking Jesus. Hey, get yourself down off this cross. And they were scorning him. One of the thieves began to observe the chaste conduct of Christ under pressure. And he began to conclude, That's the son of God. And he began to get introspective. I better repent and change because I'm about to stand before this man in judgment. And he stopped his scorning lips. But the other guy, he just kept 
flapping his gums, didn't he? And so what did the other guy say? He, the one thief looks to the other, you can find it if you want in Luke chapter 23, verse 40. He says, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Indeed, we justly, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. We're, going, we're crucified because we're bad guys. It was an acknowledgement of sin. He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man is the son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this man feared God. What did it mean for him to fear God? It means that he recognized, I'm dying, and I'm going to stand before God someday. I'm going to let that change how I live today. I'm going to change. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change how I think about things. The other thief didn't contemplate what was coming. He saw the wedding patterns, and he kept playing outside, even, even as the thunder was hitting the ground, lightning was hitting the ground, and, and the rain is pouring. He didn't have enough sense to come out of the rain. He wasn't wise. Bible says when we fear God, it means that we understand the greatness of who he is, how holy he is, how unholy we are. It's in recognition that we will stand before him someday, and I'm going to let that truth and that knowledge change how I live today. The other, one thief did it. The other thief didn't. One thief spent eternity in heaven. One thief went to hell. And so that's what it means to fear God. It's an acknowledgement. It's a calling to mind of the greatness of God and letting that change me. And we can't say that we fear God if we don't obey his commands. And that's what Solomon says here. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's how we know we love God. Jesus in John 14, 15 says, if you love me, what will you also do? Keep my commands. It's like when I got married. If I love my wife, there's some certain things I had to change because I knew it didn't please her. I don't know that a day in my life I'd ever cleaned out my bathtub. I swear. Uh, I was with you know, three, four, I think four guys sharing a dorm room. We didn't clean up our bathtub until it was time for dorm inspection. And at that time, Comet isn't going to cut it. We got out straight razors. And there was enough soap scum that we could peel it up like an Irish Spring commercial. I know y'all disrespect me for that now, but I was 18. But you know what happened when I got married? That changes. Do you know I actually... I actually wipe out the tub when I'm done taking a shower now. Why would I bother doing that? It's because I love my wife. My love for her causes me to change my habits because I want to please her. If we truly love God, what will we do? We will change our life into a way that we know is pleasing to him. If we don't change our life and we continue to live in sin, we continue to live making God a third and fourth place in our priorities, we can't truly say that we love him, Jesus says. Because if we did, what would we do? keep his commandments. Solomon says that's the whole duty of man. Why should I make my life change around all of this and what God wants and living obediently? He says in verse 14, for God will bring into every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything that, everything that we've ever done in our life, good, bad, public, private, God sees it all. And it says that God will bring into judgment all those things. You say, I don't need to worry about that. God judged my sins at the cross. Now that's true. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, was nailed to the cross. Christians will never have to face their sins again. But what will we have to face? God, is there, is there still a judgment for the Christians? There is. If you're lost in Jesus, it's a lot worse for you. Read Revelation 20, the Bible talks about the great white throne judgment. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus today and you're not a born again believer, you're not converted, you someday will stand before a great white throne, the books will be opened and God will judge you according to your sins. And everybody who stands before the great white throne has one destination. It's not telling you whether or not you're innocent or guilty, you are guilty, and the Bible says you will go to hell. 
But Christians, we don't stand before the great white throne, but we do stand before what is called the Bema seat. It's called the Bema because that's the Greek word for judgment. But it's a different kind of judgment. It's the kind like at the end of the Olympics and they put awards on you, you know, and you're either the guy on the top of the podium or number two or number three or maybe one of these other guys <laughs> over here. You receive reward or a loss of reward. That's our Bema seat. And the Bible says that God is gonna judge us according to our works. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, whether we're at home or away, he's not talking about Kentucky basketball either, home or away, he's talking about whether we're here or whether we're dead. He says, we make it our aim to please him. Once again, you see that pattern here? Our goal in life is just to please him. Every, every decision I make, every word that I speak, the, the amount that I give, the, the service that I do, whether I come to church or not, whether I'm kind to my neighbors, whether I help people, I hold the door for people, all of those is with an attempt to please him. Four, the reason we do all this is because we all must appear for the judgment seat of Christ. That word all means every one of us. There's not a soul in here who's a born-again believer who won't stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm pausing because I want that to sink in. There's not a soul here who will not stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. And God says he's going to take into account everything that we've ever done, whether he says good or evil. He's saying, now hang on, I thought you said we're not judged for our sins, you're not. This word good and evil at this point and in this context is talking about what is literally profitable, it's the word good means, it means profitable, or evil here meaning, it's a word that means worthless. It describes, uh, that word is, describes a soldier who's been given a command to stay here and hold his post, but things got tough, and so he got scared, and to protect himself, he left his post. He prioritized his comfort and his safety over what God or his commander told him to do. And so God is gonna judge us according to things that we do, good or evil. There's gonna be great reward for the good things that we do, and there's going to be a loss of reward. God says a we will be tried by fire. And the, the worthless, empty, and selfish things that we do, he's gonna burn up. Bible calls it wood, hay, and stubble. The stuff that just incinerates quickly. And he says gold, silver, and precious gems, those are the things that will be tried by fire and prof found profitable in the sight of God, and he will reward that. The Bible says we all stand before God in that way. And these, and the old aging process of our bodies is to remind us that we are all on a slow, steady progress to that judgment one day. So let that change how you live. You know, when I was a little kid, there were, we had a big family. We were from Iowa, and everybody thought we were Catholic because there were nine kids in my family. Well, because of that, in this old country farmhouse, there were five boys in one room, and it got messy. When you put five boys in a small bedroom, our mess becomes three-dimensional. I mean, it's, you can measure it with a tape measure, and then you just kind of dig your way through, and eventually, my parents would consign us to the doom of cleaning our room on a Saturday. And we would start, yes ma'am, yeah, and we're cleaning, eventually they leave and we get distracted. Oh hey, it's like an archeological dig where you unearth some toy that you lost like six months ago. Hey, hey, look what I found, hey, look what I found, and we start playing. We get distracted about the fun things that mom and dad gave us that they want us to enjoy, but not right now, but we get distracted with those things and we forget what we were put there to do until. It was a 1910 farmhouse, and those stairs were rickety and creaky like a haunted house. And so my mom or dad would start coming up the stairs, and we knew it the moment they set foot. And immediately, no matter how much fun I was having, we froze. 
they're coming. And then with the energy of two squirrels playing in the yard, man, we're just, oh, yes, ma'am, we've been working hard, you know, and, and we just go at it because there's, there's a, a judgment sign, there's a storm warning, there's a creaky stair saying, you better change what you're doing. You got distracted with God's toys that he gave you. You got distracted with the gifts he gave you. But there's there, these storm warnings of our life. The fact that we age is a creaking stare from God. There is a time coming when we will stand before him and we want to make sure that we're living a life that is pleasing to him and that we're doing what he called us to do. Friends, that is the message of Ecclesiastes 12 and I can't think of a better way to start 2023 that we don't just live a life where we're distracted by the toys that God gave us and we forget the job that he gave us to do. I say this out of love for you because I don't want there to be a soul here who stands before God and says, wow, why didn't anybody warn me that this was coming? Friends, the, st the stairs are creaking, and he's given us a job to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. Whatever you don't do in 2023, you don't go back and work on your masters. You don't go back and uh, do all these other things. You don't take your kids to Disney. That's okay. But whatever you do, don't forget to fear God and keep his commands. This, Solomon says this is our whole duty. Father, we thank you today that as we just close out this time of, of worship and study in your word, I pray that the words from this old man, Solomon, not myself, but this old man in Ecclesiastes would sink deeply into our hearts, that we would just sit down with the respect we would for a grandfather and just let him speak into our heart. Father, we thank you that you give us warnings. You give us warnings in your word that there is a time coming when we will be measured by the things that we've done with this life that you warn us that there will be a, a loss of reward, a reward for those as believers. And if there's any unbelievers here today who are not converted, God, I pray that the warning of the great white throne might cause them to contemplate their future with you, that they might receive Jesus this morning. For the rest of us, even, even if we don't open this Bible, God, the fact that you gave us aging bodies, I give you thanks so that we don't get distracted with thinking that this earthly life is all there is, and we just try to have fun. And we get distracted with the toys that you gave us. God, help us to be focused on what you've called us to do, to listen to the warning signs from your word, to, to heed the storm warnings of aging of our bodies that we're not meant just to live right here two-dimensionally, just looking at this earth that we're living on here, but that we will live for eternal things of significance and value knowing that someday we will stand before you and you will judge what we have done. God, may we be found faithful, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.